Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. Hey, I'm leaving a DM for your podcast. Where do I even start with this question? I think um, 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 I find the concept of airing dirty laundry in public quite an interesting one. We're told not to air our dirty laundry because it's aib, because what will people think of us, because we're worried about society's judgment on us. That mindset really stems from our parents' generation and their need to keep up appearances for the pride of their households. Um, it's to also like maintain this idea of perfection of the family, especially if you're like in a more religious community that your family is perfect and that doesn't have any like arguments or issues or stuff like that. A lot of it comes from other people's uncomfortability with what you're saying. Is that healthy? Um, uh, what a question. I personally think that it's not a healthy approach because Communication, or rather lack of communication, really alienates us as humans. And, you know, you bring up a whole generation of people who are concerned about what other people think about them. Instead of developing self-esteem, a sense of self. The moment we communicate, the moment we see that we're all actually going through the same experiences and facing the same troubles, and that our more difficult experiences can truly always be helped by the experiences of others. And sharing that load takes it also off of any one individual or any one family. I'm quite an open person. I share a lot of myself. I think a lot of it comes from anxiety. I feel like I've got to tell everyone everything. But it makes me, I think, a more open, warm, approachable person. This pretense that we need to keep all of our trials to ourselves just makes life inherently far more difficult. But no shame or no shade to anyone who says it how it is more power to them. As someone who speaks and writes openly about my life and, you know, does things like this podcast, I've been warned off airing my dirty laundry many times. As we've touched on throughout the season so far, there's a lot of pride or so-called honor involved, and we're often encouraged to keep things private in an effort to protect that so-called honor. But what kind of impact does that have on our bodies? those moments where I felt so ashamed or afraid or the, the times where it felt the most difficult to speak, I really practiced opening myself up because I was like, if I don't, I'm literally harming myself. That's Lana Almulla, one of my oldest friends, who's a brilliant holistic healer who works through ancient wisdom, indigenous practices and science. I thought she'd be the perfect person to chat to about this. We spoke about this idea of dirty laundry, how holding shame in can impact our bodies, how it's passed down through our DNA and more. Lana kicks us off by telling us what she thinks about when she hears the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. 
ultimately the first thing I think of when I think of shame is the feeling of it. So I immediately go into the feeling of what shame feels like in the body. And the feeling of it to me is this sort of really contracted tightening and holding in the body that just feels stuck and stagnant. And I think it's really important to, to note the feelings of certain words because so much of what we experience comes in as feelings and the only time that we can really relate to them through my experience of any kind of uh, therapy work, the only time that we can really relate to them and free them is through actually going into the feeling body with them rather than in the mind. And so there's all this kind of cognitive understanding we can have around a word, which is also imperative, but one without the other is sort of counterproductive. So I can have this understanding of shame, which is, you know, to, to, when I think of shame, if I am using the kind of cognitive understanding of what that is, it's for me, it's a lot of cultural conditioning that has been quite suppressive. And when, but immediately when you ask me that, it's funny, I go straight into the feeling and my whole body immediately tenses. And it's like this very uncomfortable feeling that sits sort of in my stomach area. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, I think that's such a good point that we should think about what it feels like instead of just being quite cerebral with it, which I think we we can often be. But what I really wanted to speak to you about is essentially this idea of dirty laundry, which is something that I've been, you know, especially as someone who sort of writes about my life and is very open. It's something that I've been told numerous times, especially from my extended family in terms of like, why are you airing your dirty laundry? Like these are things that we should just keep for ourselves. Mm. Um, and I wondered, you know, you are of, you're someone who's also very open. Like, is that something that you have had to fight through in order to be so open in the way that you are? Hmm. Great question. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a practice of vulnerability. And I think my character years and years ago, um, before I went through any kind of deep emotional healing work was to actually keep everything hidden as well because of this shame, you know, it's like, we, mm. we want to protect it's protection and it's a defense. And it's like, I want to keep everything in because it's scary to put ourselves out there like that also. And I think that's the sort of fear that older generations, especially in the Middle East, have. I think in the Middle East, it's tied a lot to how will I be seen? Yes. What will the reputation be? And so there's this whole shame around that of like it's it's Arab or like what will people think of you? And, and you know, so keep it to yourself. Mm. So I grew up keeping a lot in. For many reasons, but that was definitely one reason. And it was actually through through Instagram, but through therapy, Instagram became the platform that I was able to share my voice on, but through therapy that allowed me to exercise that vulnerability, that expression through communication, which I hadn't had or I hadn't really experienced ever in my life. So if we go into the kind of energetics and spirituality of it, it was all kind of a blockage in my throat from keeping mm. so much in. But apparently I was like that from as early as I could talk, I didn't talk. And I think that was also a lot to do with I'm one of five siblings and I'm in the middle. 
And I felt very like overshadowed by all the other siblings. And it was quite a loud household and it was all a lot. There was always a lot going on. It was always quite chaotic. So my way of coping with that was let me withdraw, go into my own little corner, be in my silence, which is where I found my peace and be in my imagination, which is where I would escape. That's so interesting that it was sort of like a physical block. I remember you mentioned that to me once, that something to do with your throat and not being able to mm. speak. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that? I can't remember what you said now. Mm. Yeah, it was so interesting. So I knew that pattern existed as a kid. As I got older, obviously, and I became aware of it through therapy. So when I saw my first therapist, so it was 11 years ago when I was 21 years old, and that was with Donna, who I've remained with since. And it was in my first experience with her that I realized I don't communicate myself. And mm. I had never been given the space to be able to communicate. So yes, there was this kind of unconscious or even sometimes conscious withholding that I would do myself. But also I was also just in society, in social circles, in family settings, never given the space mm. to fully express myself without judgment, without opinion, without advice. And all I really needed, which is, I think, one of the biggest things that we all need today is just to be heard yeah. and to be able to speak with someone who is able to practice the art of sacred listening, to just hold space and say, I feel you and I hear you and to empathize, but not feel the need to need to save you or offer you something to do or a solution. It's like sometimes you just don't want that. You just need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And being in that environment for the first time was like the greatest sense of relief. So this kind of breakdown started to happen because it was all of a sudden, like finally all of this stuff started to uncover. What was interesting is shortly after that, so that was the very start of my journey, I had also been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition of the thyroid in the throat. Okay. And when I was able to finally read my own blood test through studying nutrition, I saw that there was a really obvious imbalance in my thyroid hormones. And anyways, cut a long story short, I went to a proper endocrinologist, showed him my results, said, I want to check into this further. He said, you're absolutely right. There is a slight imbalance here. Let's check for antibodies to see if you have an autoimmune condition, because sometimes it can just be that the thyroid's a bit out of whack due to stress or lack of certain nutrients. But it showed that I had the antibodies. So I had the autoimmune condition. So I was devastated. And I was like, what has happened? Like, why is my body doing this? I felt quite betrayed by my own body. Mm. And it really sank me into a bit of a depression. I cried every day. I felt like my body had failed me. And it was when I was speaking to a, a good friend of mine and I told her and I'd cried about it. And she said, well, that's really interesting. Look at where the thyroid is. It's in your throat. Mm. And I was like, mm-hmm. And oh, at the time, they'd also diagnosed me with two nodules on my thyroid. And I just thought, gosh, okay. And I wasn't so deeply into energetics and metaphysics and mind-body connection yet. But I did have an understanding of subtle bodies and energies like chakras and energy systems. And she pointed that out to me. And she said, I wonder what it is that you're holding there. Wow. And I wonder how you communicate yourself. And I've got goosebumps just saying that. And I and I sat there and I and I thought, huh. Yeah. 
very interesting. I don't communicate myself at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is the solution. This is the medicine. I need to, as well as a lot of other things, I need to practice communication. Mm. And on top of that, the doctor wanted me to take uh, hormones for the rest of my life, which is common in the treatment of thyroid issues. And again, at that, I was like, no way. So I went deep into research, spoke to a naturopathic doctor in New York, followed this whole autoimmune protocol with the way that I ate, with my lifestyle. And on top of that, did all the energetic and emotional work. So I was also doing acupuncture once a week for my thyroid hormones, but also really practicing expression mm. and talking and communicating my truth. So those moments where I felt so ashamed or afraid or the, the times where it felt the most difficult to speak. I really practiced opening myself up because I was like, if I don't, I am harming, I'm literally harming myself. Mm. And so I need to put all of those fears, see to them, look at them and acknowledge them and then go, I'm going to do it anyways. Gosh, that's amazing. That must have been really uncomfortable. It's, I'm so bad at communicating and I'm really trying at the moment. And just the idea of kind of pushing past that and doing mm -hmm. it is really scary yeah. even just to hear about. <laughs> it still scares me. <laughs> it's still, there are still moments where like I can totally resonate with that and I'm like, ee, yeah. And it's just, it's noticing that feeling and going, do it anyways. Yeah. Do it Because anyways. it's so powerful what's on the other side. Exactly. And when you're able to break through to that other side, wow, it's the biggest sense of relief. Mm. It's just like, it's this offload. It's like all of this heaviness just kind of whew, goes out into the ether and it's like off the body and it just feels, I feel so much lighter. Yeah. It's so amazing. I think just how connected the mind and the body is like the fact that keeping things in and not feeling like you have, you know, a space to communicate what you want to say or how you feel or whatever, the fact that that would actually have a tangible impact on your body, I think is just fascinating. It, it really, really, really is. It's so it's, and it's an ancient Eastern philosophy. I mean, it's something that we don't hear about much in, in the Western world at all, but in Eastern medicine, they've known this for ages and that's exactly what they teach. I mean, whether it's Ayurveda mm. or traditional Chinese medicine, there is such a huge connection between mind and body. And it's not just about the physical body. It's let's take all the bodies into account, the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. But what I learned from my own experience is how important it is to look at everything as a whole, not just the human body, the earth, everything as a whole, mm. because it's all of these things are so interconnected and, and as one. And obviously not, you know, not to generalize, but I feel like in a lot of Middle Eastern families, um, there is this idea of not speaking up about a lot of things. And, you know, I know we touched on it a little bit, but a lot of it, I think, is to do with this idea of perfectionism. And like you said, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? So there's this real pressure, I think, to sort of keep these things private and within the family, but sometimes even just within yourself. Mm, yes. Yeah. And, and, and my experience of that as well is because, you know, I think also in my parents' generation, they weren't 
they weren't ever given space to be emotional. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, like something bizarre, catastrophic would happen. And it's like, yeah, like get on with it, like move mm-hmm. on, like get over it. You know, they, they weren't given that space at all. So when I see them and I see their inability to be there emotionally or kind of create space for us to be emotional, I just notice, I look at them now and I notice, well, they were never given that either. They were never taught that either. They hold so much in still to this day. And so to even comprehend what it means to be emotional is like, what are you talking about? It's yalla baba, get on with it. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, say alhamdulillah, everything is fine. Which, you know, in, in, some, in some occasions served me well. It was always kind of just say alhamdulillah, you have a roof over your head and you have mm. taught me gratitude in situations to always kind of have that gratitude in situations. But it was also invalidating. Yes. You know, it was like, yes, of course, I'm grateful. I have a roof over my head and food on my table. And that's I, that's something that I'm grateful for every single day. And at the same time, I still feel in pain right now. Yeah, <laughs> I still feel really sad right now. I still feel furious. And that's okay. I wonder if it's, you know, it goes back to that sort of hierarchy of needs, like self-actualization is at the very top of the pyramid. I guess when, you know, our past generations, especially so many of them, you know, my parents moved to the UK, so did your family. Mm. They were sort of dealing with other things. They didn't have maybe the space or the time Mm. to kind of be like, how do I feel today? Mm. Let me think about it. Or, you know, let alone let me talk about it Mm. because... They had these pressures, I think, much more than we do, probably, to live up to ideals. Mm. I'm so glad you touched on this. It's something that I feel so passionate about lately because I've really, I really realized, and when, especially when I was kind of opening up life space and starting a business, how much of a luxury it is to be able to have the time. First of all, just to be with oneself, to be able to even start to get into how am I feeling and how can I give time to myself to actually process these emotions right now? Because in times of survival, you don't, it's like, that's all that there is. I need to survive. Mm. And so the pressure of that becomes so immense. And of course there becomes then, or we we make, or, or there becomes no time to actually tend to ourselves. And I think that that's also a big issue that we face today, you know, people needing to survive. So being very caught up in their work and, you know, the work only until now is, has it maybe been changing, but workforce has never kind of focused on mental health or emotional health so much. I think now yeah. big companies are trying to bring that in a little bit and be more mindful of that because there is such a pressing issue. But yeah, I, I think it's a luxury almost to be able to, have that time and space to tend to oneself. And that's where I think there needs to be a great big change because it shouldn't be a luxury. And it also shouldn't be something that's not uh, accessible or not affordable. And it should be a way of life, you know, And and I think that way of life comes from many things, but especially in the kind of slowing down in certain areas and building community or creating a life that allows people to actually live and be and not always be in scarcity and in fear. Yes. 
And I wonder if that as well, like the fact that it feels like, yeah, so often you sort of do feel scarcity or fear. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why we're so much told to not speak up about our vulnerabilities or about our perceived weaknesses, because that's sort of seen as putting you on like a lower like that's like, OK, you're going to make life even harder for yourself if you speak up about these things. Like if people know these things about you, then they'll think this of you, but also maybe it will make your life more difficult. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, even if we talk about like mental health in the workplace, which is so important. Yes. There's still a fear of doing that, I think. Oh, yeah. Big time. Because it's like, what are you going to bring from under the rug that, you know, that you've been, it's like, oh my gosh, just don't even go there. Because the way that we've been taught to deal with things is to just shove them all down and not deal with them. Mm. And we think that's dealing with it. We're like, we just sh- shove it away and, and, and wish it gone and it'll be gone. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not quite how it happens. It's like, just forget about it. It's fine. And we think that we are when we shove it so far down, but we're not. We're just suppressing it. And then that shows up in in different ways in our everyday life, whether they're in our patterns of behavior, our core beliefs, our negative core beliefs, what we believe about ourselves, how that affects our self-esteem and all areas of our life. It can show up as physical ailments, as sickness. You know, when we, again, it's the Eastern philosophy, whatever is energetic then translates into something physical because it's all energy at the end of the day. Emotions are energy in motion. When we keep something stuck, that energy is not free flowing and it gets stuck and then it creates physical mass of something like an illness in the body. And so Mm. it's like we have this misunderstanding that to keep it all in is better or to wish it away or just to be like, oh, no, no, that was ages ago or like, you know, but we were never actually given the space where we didn't give ourselves the space to grieve whatever losses we, you know, have experienced or whatever we've experienced along the way. And so we kid ourselves in thinking that that's dealing with it or that that's that's easier because it is. That's not kidding ourselves. Well, in the long term, it's not easier because it accumulates as such a heavy load on us and creates other issues that we may or may not be aware of. But initially we're like, yeah, that it's just easier. Just just, you know, wish it away or shove it down and it's gone and forget about it and move on. And so to bring it back up or to bring something up, it's like, why are you going to do that in your life? Just forget it, move on. And it's like, well, sometimes it comes to a point where you need to see to that thing because that thing, when we hold on to something, it comes pouring out the body in a million other ways. Let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor, BetterHelp. We carry the burden of shame with us for longer than we realize, and it weighs on us more than we think. For so many of us, mental health services are inaccessible, but BetterHelp offers professional counseling worldwide through video and phone sessions at prices that are more affordable than traditional online counseling. They also offer financial aid. Because we often need support between therapy sessions, BetterHelp offers a messaging service where you can text your counselor and get timely responses with security and privacy. BetterHelp's licensed therapists are ready to offer their broad range of expertise wherever you are. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P. Use promo code Talk of Shame and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. I'm such a strong like believer as well that shame fosters shame, doesn't it, as well? Or like 
these things kind of become bigger deals when they're not spoken about? Oh, 100%. Yeah, because we're not allowing them to just be relieved. And sometimes all it takes is just a conversation. Mm. Sometimes it doesn't have to be some great big deep grief work. You know, it depends on on the wound of where that shame stems from. Mm. Sometimes it's literally just voicing how it feels and tuning into that feeling and then bam, it's released. (laughs) But the longer we hold these things in, the more it creates that shame, the more it starts to create that core belief that I feel ashamed of my body or I shouldn't show myself or I need to stay small and shrink myself or it's Arab to speak up or women shouldn't be angry or I shouldn't feel sexual in my body. I mean, there's a million different types of shame that we all hold and it's It's incredible to see it still going on. I feel like what's so interesting as well is like people sometimes get really mad, you know, when you speak openly about something or when you kind of open up about a vulnerability or something, again, that we've been made to feel ashamed about. It like really triggers some people. It's almost like (laughs) they don't want to see that and they get mad at the one who shows them. Yeah, yeah, which is my favorite thing ever because I'm like... (laughs) I'm like, listen, if I have to be a walking trigger to others, like, great, it's time to wake the fuck up. Yeah. Like, I, if I'm not triggering people, then I'm not speaking my truth because the truth is whatever I show of the dark side of me, the shadow self, all the ugly stuff that we never really show in society because we keep it all hidden. But if I'm going to start doing that work on myself, that means I need to start accepting those aspects of myself because we can't reach love if we are still hiding the parts of us that we feel ashamed for. First of all, one of the biggest things we need to realize is that we are responsible for our own emotions. Mm. And a lot of the time we can't take that responsibility because it's painful to acknowledge our own pain. Mm. And it's painful to acknowledge the parts of ourselves that we have rejected for most of our lives or that have been rejected so we learn to reject them. For instance, let's say I hadn't done any emotional healing work and someone comes along, let's say you come along and you post something very vulnerable about yourself. If I'm reacting to that, that's a very key indication that I'm triggered. If I'm triggered, that's a huge indication that that is a wound within me that has nothing to do with you that I haven't healed. What Mm. is it that you are reflecting to me that I find so uncomfortable that I unconsciously react to like that is how much I haven't seen to myself that the reaction is so unconscious so maybe I comment under your post like this is fucking stupid (laughs) (laughs) and that is such an unconscious reaction which tells me immediately about the person it tells me wow okay and you can have compassion in these situations it's like how painful must that be that you are so unconsciously reacting to a situation that has obviously triggered a deep trigger that is relating to a wound within you that hasn't even been seen to. Yeah. What has the response been, I guess, from like your family and your friends and stuff in terms of you so often being vulnerable? I know when I was writing my book, my dad initially was like, don't you want to be anonymous? And, you know, there was still this sort of hope that I would keep this stuff under wraps because I think there's this idea of like, why do people need to know this stuff, you know, why do people need to know your inner parts of yourself? Shouldn't that just be for you? Yeah. 
I feel two ways about this. I think before I started using Instagram as a platform to share so vulnerably, I when I started going through therapy, it was because I had depression and anxiety. And it took me a while to actually tell my parents that I was in therapy. I think about a year in, I had mentioned it. And when I had mentioned it, it was immediately faced with a backlash of, why, what's wrong with you? Mm. Like, you know, my I remember my mom being like, mama there's nothing wrong with you like this is so silly what do you mean like are you okay or my brother you know my older brother being like haha you know have you gone mad and like I just yeah and 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 luckily at the time I was a bit prepared to receive a bit of a backlash like that because I'd known like it's been a year and it still hurt me and at the same time I just knew that it was so much benefit to me so whatever they said it was just like I would have really appreciated the support but at the end of the day, it was like, they don't get it. And it's not my job to make them get it. I just know Mm. I need to do this for myself. And then it kind of came to a bit of a like, well, what's going on? Like, what's been going on for you? And that's how much things were so hidden. You know, it was like, I was suffering so much, but on the inside, and no one had really noticed. And so when I started to feel safe enough to share about a year and a half, two years into therapy, I kind of sat with them individually and at different times when it felt safe for me to tell my story, their response was actually just, they were really taken aback. Mm. And like, I remember my brother just kind of being quite silent, being like, wow, like, I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. And I had no idea. And, you know, my my mum was just very anti-therapy. It was like, now my parents are so different now. It's been years and we've all been through so much as a family that, you know, me and a few of my other siblings going through stuff, it's like, it's been a bit more spoken of and accepted. And like, you know, you do what you need to do. And obviously this has helped you because they've seen the immense change in me. Yeah. And I think when people start to see a change in someone, you know, and they'd always be like, wow, I'm so proud of like what you've been doing or what you've become. And like, and I'm always reminding them, I'm like, well, it didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> you know, like I've had to put in the work and it's through practices like that that have helped me. Initially, kind of sharing vulnerably started personally, like, you know, sharing with them. And when they were a bit more accepting of it or not accepting, not not accepting, but a bit more kind of open to hearing me, mm. I was like, OK, I, I then just had this kind of passion and urge to want to share more because I also realized that in me being open I connected more deeply with others Mm. and so it allowed my siblings and my parents to see me more truthfully for who I am and how I was feeling and all of a sudden that connection between us deepened and then I thought well those are the kind of relationships I want to have with people And also, whilst I'm expressing my truth and my vulnerability, there is such a relief in that because now all of a sudden I'm living authentically and I can share myself and my truth and not feel like I'm hiding things. And at the same time, when I would do that on a platform like Instagram, I would immediately attract conversations back, which were always so reaffirming and reassuring to me to remember that I'm not alone also. Yeah, and it gives other people permission as well, doesn't it? Exactly. Because it's like, oh my God, you're going through that too. (gasps) Me too. And then you can have a conversation about it. And rather than 
going through life putting up these walls and these barriers where we don't have those kind of conversations and hiding everything in which you know breeds depression breeds anxiety Mm. breeds the sense of loneliness all three are such huge issues today and it's like to finally kind of break down that barrier and it takes one person to be open and vulnerable for then you know someone else to go hey like I feel that too or to feel safe enough to share and then that offers that person great relief and then all of a sudden you're having a a human connection of that empathy that depth that conversation which is just true and real life and a lot of the time things can be very superficial otherwise there's this amazing meme or I don't know like a poem I think that I came across on Instagram and it's these two people and they're both wearing masks and behind the masks, they they look the same and they are the same, but they're kind of got these masks on. So they're going around the earth like, who's like me? Who's like me? Not realizing that if they just took their mask off, <laughs> the person was right there. It's such a beautiful image because it is like, yeah, we're just kind of all going around with these masks. Whereas if we just took them off, we'd realize that we all feel the same about so many things and there's so much power in that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd love to speak a little bit about inherited family trauma and inherited shame. Do you believe that we can inherit shame? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that that's quite an ancestral thing as well. It, you know, it doesn't just start with our immediate family. I think generations and generations ago, we carry trauma, we carry beliefs, we carry tradition, we carry cultures through generations of families. And, you know, it goes as far back as our ancestors. And that's a huge separate part of therapy that people do. And that's also what I, the work that I did with Donna was a lot of ancestral healing. So 100% that shame is inherited, you know, as well as many other things. I came across this really interesting study that found that trauma can actually alter people's DNA and that DNA is passed down to subsequent generations. So it Mm. makes so much sense that shame would also be passed down in that way. A hundred percent. Our DNA is our memory and we have our uh, subconscious and our conscious memory. And it's, you know, what is held in the subconscious that we're not even aware of, but it's there. Mm. It's there as memory. And, And that's how therapies like past life regression tap into that subconscious memory it's like everything that is stored through lifetimes every experience that is stored through lifetimes how can we access that I remember I went to a shaman in Ibiza a few years ago and I walked in and I didn't say anything at all and she looked at me and she literally said to me I can see your your female ancestors on your back like I can see the burden of them on your back Mm. And I just immediately literally burst into tears because Mm. I was like, yeah, I knew. Mm. And then I went home and I called my mom and I said, this is what the shaman told me. And she burst into tears and she was like, yes, Mm. like it's a real thing. And I think, you know, especially as women and and shame is so often leveled at us as a form of control. It's not only the things, because I've spoken a lot about on this podcast as well, about how shame is so often passed down from mother to daughter Mm. as a way of trying to be like, this is what the world wants you to be and this is how you're going to live a good life. But it makes sense that even in our DNA, this Mm. stuff will will be living there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, And who knows where it starts? 
you know, that's why it's like, how far back can we trace this to? Mm. Our DNA holds so much memory in it. And it's so interesting when you say, you know, I immediately burst out crying. And then I tell my mom and she cried. And it's, I find that that reaction is, I know whenever something really hits the truth, because the body knows. The body holds all of this information, but we might not be conscious of it, but the body is holding this information in there. And when someone says something to us that hits truth, it's an immediate resonance and we cry. So sometimes even when I'm sitting with myself and I'm like, okay, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? And then I get to a truth. And when my reaction is an immediate relief in like an explosion of tears, I'm Mm. like, there we go. That's the truth. That's where it is. And it also comes up in goosebumps. You know, even whilst you were just telling me that, it's like the minute you said, oh, and then I burst out into tears, I get goosebumps. And I'm like, that's the truth. Our bodies know they are so wise. They retain so much information and memory. We just don't know how to tap into our subconscious all the time. But there are specific therapies and medicines where we can unlock that and the information comes up. And I guess it goes back to what you were saying, you know, at the beginning when you were saying, it's important to sort of feel where the shame is in your body, or it's important to kind of pay attention to our bodies because mm-hmm. so much of this is held. Yeah. It's not something that's in our minds. It's literally something that is before us and will be after us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, it's where we tend to be a very neck up society. So we tend to be very much in our heads and we are always trying to make sense of and understand and rationalize and make sense of things. And then we observe and we judge when we're up in the head so much, we've lost that direct connection between the mind and the heart. Mm. And what we need to do is actually bring that energy back down into our hearts. And rather than trying to make sense of everything, just go, how do I feel? and just allow ourselves to feel whatever that feeling is without needing to make sense of it all the time. I've been doing a lot of ego work this last year and that's all that it is when we're in the mind and when we're trying to rationalize and when we're trying to make sense of things and I never really understood. I heard the word ego so much my entire journey in this kind of world of work but I never fully had an understanding of it until I went through my own ego death and it's like the ego is our identity and we need a bit of it. You know, we need it to survive. It's there for a reason, but our egos tend to dominate in the world today. And that domination, that ego creates separation and that I, everything is about identity and myself and how do I come across and what do I feel? And it's our brain takes over because our brain is continuously trying to create these identities around well, what do I feel and how do I feel? And so what does that mean for me? And then what does that look like? And how, what mask do I put on today? (laughs) Yeah. And to go back, I guess, to the idea of like dirty laundry and, and feeling like we shouldn't speak up about the things that make us who we are or that make us vulnerable. So much of that is linked to the ego as well, because if we Mm. didn't have these ideas that we felt like we needed to uphold, then we maybe wouldn't feel the need to hide elements of ourselves that we are been made to feel are undesirable or not good. Exactly. And and that's a threat to the ego because it's like we've worked so hard to create these identities of who we are. This picture perfect, you know, or it's not even about being picture perfect. It could be that I've created an identity that, you know, I'm a super successful 
lawyer or that I'm even the identity and I'm noticing ours, which I find so fascinating. Instagram for me is all ego. Mm. It doesn't matter what you're trying to put out there. Even if I'm sitting there consciously trying to put out there that I'm really into holistic healing, that I'm super into nutrition, that I'm also super flawed and that I preach practicing vulnerability. I'm like, I'm putting myself out there still to create an identity. Like, even in that, it's still fighting to create an identity. It's still like, this is how I want to be seen. I want to be seen as strong through my vulnerability. Yeah, well, because it's still like a curated authenticity, as authentic as it might be. And it's actually, I think about this all the time because I'm like, it's literally impossible for mm. me to show all the different aspects of me yeah. on Instagram. It's literally not <laughs> yeah. possible. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always think that and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like it's a lot. <laughs> and the pressure of trying to do that is also a lot because like you said, I also try and kind of be like, I'm flawed. And these are, you know, sometimes I cry on Instagram. My mom will be like, why are you crying on Instagram? Please stop. But I'm like, <laughs> no, it's important to show, I'm not going to just show me laughing and dancing all the time mm. either because this is, but still that is, I've decided I'm crying, but I feel okay to share this. Maybe another time I'm crying and I won't be able to, do you know what I mean? Like it's still yeah. a choice of when to share and when not to share and how to do it. And do I put a filter on it or whatever it might be? Uh, yeah. And I think with that, there's such a big balance. I think there's such a kind of fine line with like sharing and then maybe oversharing when it's not necessary to. So I think like with anything, the intention is everything. I will always question my intention and be like, why am I sharing this? Is it something that I'm trying to prove about myself? And is it an identity that I'm trying to create for myself? And is that that's then my ego overtaking? Or is it actually something from the heart that says it's important for this message to be shared? Intention. Intention is everything behind everything. I feel like anything that we do in life, intention is everything. One thing that I can say quite confidently is I feel like a lot of us, especially the younger sort of generations, were sort of reclaiming that ability to be honest. And yeah, you know, ego and all the rest of it. But I think there is still something really special about the fact that a lot of us are refusing to be kind of defined by things that previous generations might have thought were shameful or should not be spoken about. We're kind of like, yes, this is the truth. This is how it is. And that's really beautiful, I think. Mm. There's definitely great awakenings. And I think there's definitely been a big shift in consciousness of the, the planet and the people. And it just seems to be continuing to excel. And although it's still, you know, on a minor level, it's not the masses of people, but there is a great awakening happening where more people are willing to have these conversations and to acknowledge them and to notice them and to be awake to themselves. Yeah. There is a great awakening taking place and it, it is, it's promising. It's really hopeful. There's a lovely quote that I came across and it says, the world changes in direct proportion to the number of people who are willing to be honest about their lives. Mm. And I just love that so much. That's beautiful. And someone whose work I love, who I came across very early on, is Brene Brown. Yes. One of her quotes that I love says, owning our own story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. 
embracing our vulnerabilities yeah. is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy. The experiences that make us most vulnerable, only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. Oof, wow. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I think that's a really nice place to end. Lange, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, my love. Thank you for having me. Bye. I love how Lana and I had a little quote off at the end there. I fucking love a good quote. It was so interesting to hear her experience with how bottling things in had impacted her health. Like we've been saying, let's fucking talk about it with intention. Next week, I speak with Salma Guardani. She's a writer, a poet, a presenter, and one of my very favorite outspoken human beings. We discuss how shame fosters a toxic culture, one which lends itself to victim blaming, rape culture, and more. Here's a snippet from next week's conversation. If I'd been able to have those conversations, less things would have happened in the shadows. And when things happen in the shadows, there is danger. Because if anything goes wrong, you can't call for help. I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Amina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Rhythma Ekinayaki. Thanks to everyone who submitted voice notes for this week's episode. Follow me at Alia Moro and at Wemina to submit your thoughts for future episodes. We'll be dropping questions every Saturday. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there. Talk to you next week.